We got a Riddler over here. My next target, Edwin Gomez. Edwin, what if I got into your house? I didn't take anything, but I changed every single one of your Blu-rays and DVDs. I put the wrong disc in each one. I'll find you. I'll kill you. Murder you in your sleep. The Vetter Saul style trap for Edwin is that you attach a bomb to his neck and he has a minute and the key is in one of his DVD cases, but we don't tell him which one. <laughs> Secret Movie Clubbers, we made it. Secret Movie Club Podcast 100. Today, we are going to be talking about a movie we each nominate for new masterpiece, new canon, and we define that as any movie of the 21st century. So any movie of the 21st century that we each nominate as new canon uh, to celebrate our 100th episode. Which kind of came about because we were talking about for episode 50, we did The Graduate as kind of an American milestone movie, and we were talking about doing another milestone movie, but then we thought maybe it'd be more interesting if we all proposed our own thing that in the future, other podcasts, lesser podcasts, will do their 100th episode on. Or greater. It doesn't have to be a competition, man. Who is with us today? Uh, Hello. It's Daniel. Hey, it's me, Connor Lloyd Cruz, the people's champion. Hello, America. It's me again. Back. What are you reading on I'm this making sure it's recording man oh, okay. i'm doing you a favor man god ah and i'm craig the founder programmer of secret movie club and it's a little bit of a minor miracle that we've put up with each other for a hundred episodes but we have we've come together we're like a unit we went through covid together now we're coming out of covid god willing and heading maybe into a war i hope not but we're keeping the focus on the positive 100 episodes and so real quickly by the time you guys hear this it'll be good friday actually for all the folks who celebrate and also by the way i get to do this because i get to code switch it's also passover every now and then they fall on the same weekend which uh as paul rudd pointed out one a very handsome jew so did you ever see that between two ferns where Zach Galifianakis tried to bait him. He's like, what do you tell other actors who are really good at hiding their Jewishness? And then Paul Rudd was, he asked him some other question about Jesus. And Paul Rudd was like, well, one of our best. Uh, (laughs) Because many people don't like to talk about the fact that Jesus was Jewish. He was a rabbi. All the apostles were practicing Jews. And I I feel like it wasn't a very good Friday for him. No. (laughs) was ironically named by Paul later on because Paul was a bit of a jokester as he was making the church. We always like to start with some sacrilegious humor that'll alienate (laughs) us from the majority of the world. Um, But by the time you hear this on Good Friday, we're doing a little mini idiosyncratic Easter series. We're first showing a movie I love, Lars von Trier's Breaking the Waves, probably my favorite von Trier. Many people cotton on to this when they see Breaking the Waves, but it, it is clearly a passion movie, probably his most devoutly spiritual. Von Trier would actually be, he was a, a very devout Catholic for a long time and then sort of moved away from it now as an atheist and is very vocal about, you watch Melancholia. <laughs> to see where he ended up in Antichrist. But at the time that he made Breaking the Waves, he was in a very spiritual frame of mind. It stars Emily Watson. It's an incredible picture, formally, content-wise. And if you like Robert Bresson and Carl Theodore Dreyer and Bergman even, if you like movie Scorsese, if you like Silence, uh, you're going to love Breaking the Waves. And then the next night we do a movie we got on 35, I think one of the great films of all time as well, Robert Bresson's Alhazard. 
Balthazar, made in 1966. It's a pretty stunning movie for anybody who wants to see it. It's all told from the point of view of a donkey. And we go through the life of a donkey from Balthazar's birth through his lifetime. And what's amazing is you, it's not like you get voiceover where the donkey is like, and at this moment, I thought this and that. You never do. It's very naturalistic, very real. But the donkey observes good people, bad people, and different people. People treat him well, treat him horribly, treat him sort of ambivalently. And Jean-Luc Godard famously said that Alhazard Balthazard is the entire world and all of existence in 90 minutes. And I think that's pretty apt for what it's going to take you through. It's a pretty emotionally amazing film, depending on your frame of mind. And we've got it on 35. And then on Tuesday, we hope you'll join us. We're doing a fundraiser for Ukraine with the Ukrainian artist collective Spilka. Uh, We are showing what's often considered the crown jewel of Ukrainian cinema, Shadows of Forgotten Ancestors, on 35 millimeter by famed director Sergei Parandrov, Ukrainian filmmaker. He would also make The Color of Pomegranates, which is a very famous film. His movie, weirdly, a lot of Scorsese style comes out of this. I was actually prepping for it and a lot of the like sweeping camera, a lot of cutting. Sergei Parandrov was actually famously imprisoned under the old Soviet system because his movie definitely broke from the Soviet realist style and was wildly expressive, wildly just experimental. And we're showing it on 35 and then we're giving all the revenue, all the revenue. I don't care what we, whatever we make on concessions, whatever we make on tickets, we're giving it all away to the people in Ukraine because they're going through hell and they are fighting a valiant fight. And I will tell you that I am proud of them. I think a lot of people thought they were going to fold within a week of this invasion and they did not fold. And I think a lot of people could take some lessons and people going, you know what? If we got to fight, we got to fight. And I want to send him some money. So Secret Movie Club is going to help the folks in the Ukraine because we got it easy over here right now. God knows watching what you guys are going through. So God bless you. And as always, you can write us at community at secretmovieclub.com. Find out everything we're doing at secretmovieclub.com. Uh, and by the way, I say that as a Russian, I'm a Russian Jew. So I just want people to know Russia is in my blood. I love the Russian people. I just think Putin's an effing thug. So there you go. That's on the record. Uh, moving on. On that note, uh, we are not getting broadcast in Moscow this week. Guys, 100 episodes. Here we are. Look at what happened. Edwin was momentarily elected president of a small country. Connor fathered seven children since the beginning of this. None of of them have survived. (laughs) Oh, no. Daniel wrote what is now considered the great American novel. We've accomplished a lot. Or we could just say that we started in March of 2020 and it is now April of 2022. And in that time, we've done 100 episodes. Let's keep on trucking. (laughs) Keep caught. Keep, uh, there you go. I like that was all concise. And I like how Edwin has developed a Burt Reynolds laugh. Hey, man, Burt. It's <laughs> pretty amazing. Burt Reynolds is the sh- man. You, you mess with Burt, you mess with me, man. I, I like to think we've gotten better. Um, <laughs> there it is again. <laughs> That's like a classic Burt Reynolds laugh. <laughs> Burt's spirit has transmigrated into your soul. Yeah, because unlike you, Craig, I worship the Burt. What do you know about Bert? I, I will say my court mandated 100 episodes with Edwin does end with this. And I'm thrilled. <laughs> I'm very excited to find new ventures. Hey, I'll have you know, Edwin, just by the way, that I took all my friends to a Smokey and Stroker Ace double feature at the Million Dollar Theater. You told yeah, me. Before I knew you, so don't question my Burt Reynolds bona fides because you're talking out of your ass. Yeah, Edwin, here's an idea. Why don't you shut the f- God. I know you shut the f- <laughs> God, I know you. Good lad, man. Embodying the uh, Christian 
ethic, the, the way that Jesus taught us uh, as on this eve of Easter. The four of us are here, but let's move on and talk about the movie that we nominate for the new canon of the 21st century. I want to talk about not just one movie, but three movies. Oh, you're cheating already. Well, they're yeah. connected. I think you'll agree that this is only kind of cheating because I'm talking about Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings trilogy. Oh, dude, I stand corrected. That is genius. I think Lord of the Rings has got what it takes. I mean, I think it already kind of is considered one of the best films ever made. I'm just going to collectively refer to it as one thing. Quick plug. We are doing it all in one day. Saturday, May 28th. So Connor's shout out is aptly timed. If you want to see, go to Mordor and see all three of these movies on 35 millimeter in a movie palace, hour and a half in between each film for a meal and drinks. May 28th, Saturday, Million Dollar Theater, 35. That might be a good future podcast topic. I think the Lord of the Rings movies on a craft level, they're done at the pretty much highest level imaginable. I think there's some shaky CGI in the third one. On a storytelling level, you know, Lord of the Rings is a classic of both actual literature and like genre literature. It does a pretty much perfect job, especially the extended versions, of adapting it in a full sense that never feels like it's sacrificing stuff in the books it always feels like it's consolidating it and making it more powerful for the form it's in i think it already kind of is a, a milestone movie it, because it's a movie that was successful in pretty much every possible way it's a beloved movie it was critically successful it was commercially successful they were all won a lot of academy awards including return of the king which won basically every academy award except for uh acting my theory is that if the dune movies do really well they might be able to crescendo the same way because they remind me of that in that way where they're getting nominated for all the awards except the acting awards because they are kind of more of an ensemble movie. Even though Elijah Wood is incredible, carries it down, probably the best performance in the movies. I wonder what you guys think is Andy Serkis as Gollum. I think everyone knocks it out of the park. You can't, you'd be hard pressed to find a performance you don't like in those movies. Sean Astin, Sean Bean in the first one. Boromir is one of my favorite characters, period, in any literature, movies, whatever. And the extended edition, especially, you really feel how tragic that character is. Ian McKellen, the actors who play Marion Pippin, Christopher Lee, Miranda Otto as Eowyn, Kate Blanchett, Hugo Weaving, Liv Tyler. Vigo Mortensen? How are we not even lead with that? You get it. Uh, John Rice Davies. Oh, yeah. Orlando, Orlando Bloom. Bloom. Here, let's just read the whole IMDb. Ian Holmes. <laughs> Rod Carl Urban. The people can attest to this. I have a little Lord of the Rings wall that I'm pointing my camera at. That is our three Lord of the Rings posters we did. And underneath is a little picture that a friend of mine got that's some sort of weird J.R.R. Tolkien thing and then underneath that they'll notice a box which is the lord of the rings living card game that i've been playing lately i'm not a fantasy guy broadly but lord of the rings is incredible and those movies are incredible i could just literally just sit here and yell for hours but i think you called it i think that's going to be an upcoming podcast how do we not do that edwin I'm, i got two movies up my sleeve it's the first two mummy movies Whoa! Brandon Fraser, man. Are they 21st century? No. Technically, The Mummy is 99. It was close to that. The Mummy 2 was the 2000, but I worship the, the Mummy movies, except for 3. 3 was not that good. But the first two are incredible. Unlike some people, I had a childhood, 
and watch some great motion picture. Is that yet again another comment passively aggressively directed at me? Yes. The basic assignment of this podcast was to choose a film that is one year later than the one you've chosen. But that's classic Edwin. I'll say this. The Mummy 99, Mummy Returns 2001, equals out to 2000. I'll give it to him. One, Brendan Fraser kills in both movies. Second, the villain is is awesome. He does a terrific job. An unappreciated actor. Both scores are awesome. One composed by Jared Goldsmith, the other composed by Trevor uh, Rabin. You know, this is just a fun movie, similar to the Indiana Jones movie. But for Indy, I got to go with Brendan Fraser on this train, man. I'm sorry, Craig. I, I, I think he's like the better explorer, you know, for me, even though he, like, mm. <laughs> doesn't give a damn because it's, it's only his wife. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. What? Yeah. Oh, look at that. <laughs> Edwin, you're, like, winding yourself up like a Tesla coil. We don't even need to say anything. Yeah, there's so many about those movies, man. They're just so damn fun. I'm going to play that clip at your wedding, uh, by the way. Let me finish, Craig. God. Like I was saying... The Mummy movies were like my introduction to horror movies because some of the scenes they show are pretty... No, not too graphic, but pretty shocking. And especially when the, the dude sucks out that dude's soul and he's like dies and flies coming out of his mouth and a bug coming out of his, you know, sting, you know. Yeah, it's, 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 they're pretty, pretty fun movies. And also, for The Mummy 2000, for one of my returns, uh, Dwayne, The Rock Johnson, as Scorpion King. He's like a full-on scorpion. That's that you can almost chart that movie as the rise of the rock. Yeah, you know? yeah, most definitely, most definitely, and and then it spawned a side movie for him for that character because he plays a good guy, and the movie return he plays a bad guy. That's and in Scorpion King, doesn't Scorpion King have one of the most notoriously bad uses of CGI ever? I did, I'm gonna get to that. Honestly, it's not that bad. I mean, I, I get I, it for, there's, for, there's, for there's a lot of things all brushed aside. That's an insane argument. Shut the hell up! I'm I, I'm speaker here, okay? Hey, he's going all in, guys, like right. David Petraeus. I guess if you're watching it on your phone on VHS, then yeah, I'd be like, that actually looks pretty good. It looks looks like, it looks like today all four of us are wearing glasses. Edwin's got the rose-colored ones. Come on. For, for its time, for its time, it's not that bad once you no, look at it. not even for its time. I Jurassic, Jurassic Park Daniel, was like was seven still, years earlier. No, Daniel, I don't give it up. Lord of the Rings. Man. Lord of the Rings is happening simultaneously. I, I do have a question. Pop quiz. Better CGI in Anaconda or in Scorpion King? Edwin don't want none. Unless you got buns, hon. Uh, Why was that in reach? Look at that. He had I, Anaconda in though. How did you get to that without moving? <laughs> well, because I bought it yesterday. and, and I Wow. Cool. Edwin, what do we call that? What did I teach you? Patterns. Patterns everywhere. What did Joyce call it? Coincidence. The ineluctable modality of the visible. Now, you've been suspiciously quiet about the mummy tomb of the dragon emperor because you uh I, I, that, that one that one could pass it, it's okay what about tom cruise's the mummy oh that's a piece of what about tom cruise's the mummy's imax trailer with incorrect audio anyway like i was saying i was really interrupted by a man in glasses that lives in somewhere in the valley the cgi in mummy returns is really not that bad if you, if you look at it i mean for its time it, it was pretty something but Again, made at the same time as Lord of the Rings, by the way. Yeah, and I'm sorry, Connor, 
but I gotta take the money returns on this train. I'm sorry. This is why I originally pitched this idea that we would debate and have to choose one out of these. We're not doing that. I'm gonna say, I think right now, I'm winning. <laughs> yeah, but that doesn't matter to Edwin. The concepts of winning and losing and argument and reason are... Because reality, I've already won. One last movie, uh, A Beautiful Mind, and that's it. See you, chump. Wow. <laughs> struggle this is a this is a deep question do we talk oh, about par- come on parasite just get it over we, with home. i uh, that, see that i thought i thought that and rightfully so i thought spirited away could be that oh i oh. i think it i think it is i think parasite is i think it changed the pantheon but i had to think of the one thing i've had many conversations about parasite it's too easy it's the answer but not the answer i'm choosing today i think the answer today is the social network. Oh, ah, get out of here. You respect Daniel. He just listened to you talk about Mummy Returns. In the zeitgeist of movies, both good and bad, the stuff that it shifts around and people's perception of an art form. I think the social network was an insane thing to happen. And I think what it did, good and bad for movies that branched off and tried to capture the same levels of not even success, but trying to capture what the social network captures. What other movies tried to do that? I mean, there's there's a thing right now happening with them where it's all these movies about startups and tech companies and about like kind of just people trying to make this thing happen. And how do you make a movie where you care? And I don't think anyone's ever captured that again the same way. And I think even Aaron Sorkin has tried to recapture that in his own work and still can't capture it the same way. There was this pairing between different artist that was so perfectly married on all fronts and i think that i think if i had to if i had to do again spirit away parasite god bless but today we talk social i I think that's a a great pick but are you just saying that you nominate it because it's just sui generis there's nothing that that's like it or as successful as it or i think i think it just came it's almost like a courtroom drama paired with this thriller kind of conspiracy type of thing about a bunch of unlikable people who become wealthy <laughs> and all the things that they do to undermine people. The fact that it's, you know, adapted from nonfiction work, it's obviously fictionalized for stuff, but it's kind of captured a type of person who the 10 years before were, especially in terms of art, were the subject matter of jokes. They were the people who love Lord of the Rings. And the 10 years since then, they now run the world. And I think it is like the center point of the before and after of that happening to a degree. Like the idea of leading up to it, you know, Marvel laid its tracks and superhero movies were becoming a thing. But like the idea of what you love and were very passionate about was still a thing that was a joke. It was a point of making fun of people, whether it's in school or in art in general, I think, before that. And now that joke doesn't really work anymore because that art runs the world. Well, I think I think it's that line at the end of that first scene where uh, Rooney Mara's character says to him, you're going to think people don't like you because you're a nerd, but people won't like you because you're an a-hole. It's this reinterpretation of, of the ideas of these different cliques and the, the way people get stereotyped and the labels put on them. And also at the end of the day that people who sort of were barred socially from the things figured out new ways to own that social, like the magnitude of social things, whether it's digital or in person, but they're still doing these, like this, the human nature of being these nasty, slimy, in this case, dudes who are like misogynistic. And they have these tendencies that are all about how to do this thing for me, even though this thing that I'm doing is 
bigger picture type of thing. But in the end, it's all selfish to a degree. And I think that what Fincher and Sorkin get so right about it is leaning into the characters because the story itself is interesting. But when the trailer for this dropped, everyone's like a Facebook movie, like Facebook is just a few years old. Like this is so, so, so stupid, but it captures so expertly, like the changing course of, I think in this case, millennials and the way that jobs have changed, the way that sort of our digital relationship with the world has changed. They talk about like the approach to being online, like our, we'll be living online basically, which sounds like a joke, but that's not a joke. And that is Facebook was pointed out by name in this as being like maybe a dangerous thing and has just proven that as if by a prophecy that it absolutely going forward. And I, I think it's this weird singular thing that I, I would guess they couldn't have guessed in capturing the world so perfectly in the moment. And I don't think it can be replicated. I think social network is one of those arguments about you can't really manufacture lightning in a bottle. I think you can get close to it. You can kind of sense, you know, we're going to try to make a topical movie, which they certainly did. But social network is lightning in a bottle. It captured like the loneliness imparted on in a lot of art and maybe in general with how people grew up who were into nerdy, geeky things and them kind of capturing the world's like the pre-internet era and then the internet era and how it became politics, it became art, it became everything to everyone. Like life revolves around the internet now and every asset and this sort of right before that, it was happening then, but this captured it as it was and how it was going to be. And I think that's crazy. Something I didn't mention about my pick, my two favorite scores in the same time period are the Howard Shore score for Lord of the Rings and the uh, Trent Reznor Atticus Ross score for Social Network, which is... Mind-blowing. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yes. So my movie, I've talked about it before. Every now and then I'll see a movie and I'll go, that is a all-timer for me. And I've already heard a few mentioned. You know, Lynch's Mulholland Drive, Wong Kar Wai's In the Mood for Love, Miyazaki's uh, Spirited Away, which Danny already called out, uh, Linklater's Boyhood. Money Plane. When Money Plane. George Miller's Mad Max Fury Road. All of these movies, I think, in the last 20 years, I would put forward as like banger, all-time banger status. But I'm going to talk about a movie that I am obsessed with that is not maybe in that sort of well-known level, which is a French film by uh, Jacques Audiard that we showed called Un Prophet. Oh, it's from 2009. It's a personal taste thing. I've talked about it before, but well, Edwin, Edwin's really loud. I really like that movie. I just don't like to interrupt you with my <laughs> uh, opinions. And then sit on your back dismissively and look at the ceiling with your fingers laced together. As Edwin's doing right now, he won't even look me in the eye. Look at that. My guess would be Daniel likes that movie. Correct. Uh, won the Grand Prix at Cannes. And it's essentially about a young 20-something Muslim man, Algerian, French Algerian. He gets arrested for a petty car theft. You can already tell the racism of the prison system. And within a few days, he realizes the Corsican mafia runs the prison. And they come to him and they say, look, you're Muslim. You're going to kill this snitch, this Muslim snitch who's coming in, or we're going to kill you. And that's the opener of the film. And you're going to kill him with a razor blade between your teeth because he likes men. So you're going to seduce him and then kill him. And you're like, whoa. And then, you know, minor spoiler, it happens in the first 20 minutes. He wrestles with this, but he eventually does kill this guy. And by killing this guy, the Corsican mafia paradoxically welcomes him in, in the way that you're jumped into anything. And they give him more and more tasks. And over time, he gains in power. And actually, you realize 
ways. He's very, very smart and canny. And as he gains in power, he gets outside privileges. And at the same time, he's visited by the spirit of this man he killed. And he has a spiritual awakening. And so he has an awakening as a person of earthly power. And he has an awakening as a person who goes on a spiritual journey. And that is my jam. The earthly and the spiritual I'm obsessed with and movies that deal with the two at the same time. And it's a stunning film. It's gripping. It's narratively you're on the edge of your seat. It's very violent. It feels almost Scorsese-ish in certain ways. Maybe maybe that's just me connecting it to like crime film stuff, but it's totally works as like a crime genre film if you're just interested in something like that but it also has these these other things i've seen a bunch of movies for the first time because of secret movie club and un profet's up there in terms of the ones that i think were the best and my favorite thing because it's, it's set in france is that they give all the prisoners big baguettes throughout <laughs> the movie which, which isn't a joke i guess they just do that in France, I assume, but it is kind of funny. It's one of those things that you would see as like a joke in, a, in another movie, but you know, it makes me laugh, but the movie's great. The two leads, the gentleman who plays the Algerian young man, and then the gentleman who plays the Corsican mafia boss. I mean, it's just a two-hander of ridiculous power, those two performances and the changing dynamics of their relationship. It first starts antagonistic. It then becomes father and son, and then it morphs into something different. It's just a trend that's moving as a filmmaker myself. I'm always blown away. It's funny. I'm now following this person on TikTok who shows you how to play hooks on the piano. And I'm like, that's how you play the Dre hook for, you know, this Dre song. It's super easy. And I just learned how to play the cold play hook for clocks. And it's super easy. One of the things they do in the movie is the movie opens as he gets imprisoned. And there are these weird fade outs that like flicker in and out as he's coming. And I was like, how did they do that? It was literally the cinematographer putting his hand in front of the camera and just closing his fingers like this and opening them. And they discovered that if they did it on a certain kind of lens that uh, you couldn't tell it was a hand. I was like, what a great effect. You know, it didn't cost him anything but imagination ingenuity. So there you go. So guys, we all nominated. I heard Lord of the Rings. I heard The Mummy 1 and 2 sort of put together. Social Network, Um Profet. At the very least, watch all of these. And uh, let us know what movies you put forward. You very well could have movies where all like, of course, that was great. Borat, I don't know, whatever. And we're like, how did we forget that? So we would love to hear it. So guys, do you want to throw out any lightning round titles? Uh, snatch. You mentioned some, uh, Mulholland Drive, No Country for Old Men. Zodiac. That's my venture. Paddington 2. Sam Raimi's first two Spider-Man movies. Tinker Taylor, Soldier Spy. Holy Motors. Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Hot Fuzz. Speed Racer. Speed Racer. Oh, yeah. By the way, Edwin and two people, they all embraced over their disdain for Speed Racer in front of me to put it in my face at a recent screening. I've never seen three people like sp spontaneously embrace like that. But the three of you were like, yes, Speed Racer sucks. And I was like, hey, respect. Personal taste, I get it, but I love speed racing. Here's another nominee. Everything, everywhere, all at once. Uh, so we're still in the 21st century. That was uh, almost an alarm. Yes, we do have <laughs> 78 years to go. Uh, and we'd love to hear what your titles are. As always, maybe write us or just post or engage with us. Say, hey, here's some titles. And I look forward. You know, cinema's alive and kicking. Listen, I think I just heard 10 to 20 titles. You know, to say that you had 20 titles in 22 years, that's not a bad batting average. 
pop culture final thoughts. Who wants to go first? Uh, Speaking of prisons, Edwin, you look like you're in a prison. Well, you're in a prison. Look at yourself, you bastard. I'm in a prison of love because I can't quit you, no matter how abusively you treat me. Oh, anyway, um, cinephile. Look how he ignores me. You see that? Anyway, cinephile. Cinephile was kind enough to post a uh, little event that was happening in Burbank. Which was director Floyd uh, Mutrix. Uh, I'm pretty sure I'm saying his last name wrong. Uh, director of Dusty and Sweet McGee, Aloha Bobby Rose, and writer of Blood and Blood Out and American Me was having a garage sale, and he was uh, giving away some of his items. I, I brought my Dusty and Sweet McGee vinyl and my American Me DVD, and he was so kind enough to sign those things. He was a very nice dude. He looked like he was still in the 70s, so that was pretty groovy of him. Very nice dude, very nice dude. Sean Baker showed up later on to get his poster signed, which was awesome. And then I went to Hollywood Books and Posters. I watched Ty West's new film, X, which is kind of this love letter to very specifically Texas Chainsaw type of like shot on 16 super grungy texas dirty horror film it's very cool it's like a beyond sometimes you know the, the love letter stuff gets a little bit it doesn't have a lot of goodness because it's just trying to replicate something but i think it's it's there's a lot of interesting stuff ty west does and i'm, I'm a big fan of the slow burn as i drive my car fan and ty west as a horror filmmaker is really into that slow burn and he kind of lets that set up some characters that have a little more personality than sometimes the more standard slasher fare. But it's essentially about a bunch of young adult filmmakers who rent a farmhouse somewhere in Texas to shoot a pornographic film and stuff goes awry, as you might expect. It's got a killer cast and it's, it's a really good time. Some great kills, a lot of great practical effects, and it's fun. Well, one connected to what I brought up today, I've gotten to the Lord of the Rings card game by Fantasy Flight. They made Marvel Champions, which I know I've talked about on here before. They put out a revised edition of their core set recently. Pretty fun. But more importantly, I thought I'd bring back for our 100th episode, everyone's favorite segment. It's that this really happened on Riverdale. I miss that segment. It's the thing I do where I describe three things that might have happened on a recent episode of the CW TV show Riverdale. And two are real, one is fake, and these guys have to guess which one is the fake one. A preface for this, before season six of Riverdale, every time they had done a supernatural thing, it had been like Scooby-Doo, where it was like Mr. Jenkins, it wasn't supernatural. But season six started with a five episode event called Rivervale that took place in an alternate version of Riverdale called Rivervale where supernatural stuff happened. There was a Wicker Man episode, Deal with the Devil episode. They did a multiverse episode involving a previous actor who had been recast coming back to play an alternate version of that character. What I'm about to tell you is not from any of that. This is from past that when we've gotten back to Riverdale Prime. So, here are your three options. Two are real. One is a fiction. I mean, they're all a fiction because it's a fictional TV show, but one I made up. One, after a ritual performed by Nana Rose, Cheryl has been possessed by her witch ancestor, Abigail. Two, Jughead and Tabitha have moved into Pop Tate's old house, only to find it haunted by Pop's ghost. Three, after a bomb went off, Archie, Betty, and Archie's dog, Bingo, all have superpowers. I'm going to go the middle one is fake. Yeah, middle. middle. I, I want to believe middle. it's the middle one just because it's 
the least exciting of the other ones. You know what? You guys did it. I proofed this with other people to try to get it as good as possible, but you guys still found it out. It is true. Archie, Betty, and Archie's dog, Bingo, and now Jughead and a new stranger who's wandered into town have superpowers. I assume, based on the location of a bomb going off, uh, Madchen Amik uh, from Twin Peaks, her character is the next closest to the bomb, so I assume, I'm hoping, she starts to manifest powers next. Riverdale must be an absolute blast to write for. I imagine. The haunted house thing it would be a thing I believe in would be a, a fun thing, but the fact that it's the least plausible, it's just, what does the writer's room look like? The witch thing's going pretty wild, too. The last episode involved a character visiting the character who's trapped inside the body in their dreamscape. Nice. And you can find me at twitch.tv slash Connor Cruz and watch me play D&D Tuesdays at 7 Pacific time at twitch.tv slash Nerdhala. I went up uh, last week, and I'm going to edit it now, but for one day, I was up uh, making a documentary about my cousin, who I have a lot of respect for, Eddie Brown. He grew up in Phoenix. He had a rough childhood. He eventually did three years in prison for dealing meth. And uh, there's a lot more to that story, including a lot of complications, which is why I have tremendous respect. But when he came out, he never went back. He has three kids. He now owns a gym up in uh, the Central Valley. His wife is a school teacher. And I did a one day doc interviewing him to hear his story. And he just told me so many details of his life, which people will hear when the doc comes out, you know, things that are mind blowing for me. He saw a friend shot in the face when he was 11, simply because he was wearing red. They were gangbanging at 11. He went up to his friend thinking he had just fallen down and realized he was standing in a pool of his sticky blood. And he said that he was traumatized by it. When he, one of the details he told me, and I'll leave on this because there's so many details. Eddie also seems to have had tremendous luck and also street smarts that I don't have. When he went to prison, you have to bring what's called your driver's license. Your driver's license is your police report. If you don't know that, you're effed because the first thing that happens uh, when you get to prison is the uh, they're called the shot callers pull you over and they say, show us your driver's license. And Eddie was very lucky because it showed that he had told the police nothing and that he had been very cocky at the time, not in a good or a bad way. Eddie just said, look, I got arrested. I'm going to do my time. And Eddie, thankfully, had some money for private counsel. But the shot callers saw that Eddie didn't snitch. The shot callers saw that Eddie hadn't really divulged any information. And so Eddie was essentially allowed weirdly to eventually to sit at the shot callers table. He said, though, that most other people his age who go to prison, most people, they just throw away their police report. And when you go to prison and you don't have your driver's license, then people will intimidate and scare you into getting swastikas on your face and tattoos that you can never remove to prove you're a lead. He says it's totally divided racially. And he said that many of his friends on the outside have been black. And one of the things was he went up, embraced a guy they embraced and all the neo-nazis basically like we're going to beat the heck out of him and he did get jumped in the shower that's something that happens to everybody too but i'm sitting here listening to my cousin <laughs> tell these stories and i'm like it's just so complex and eddie i just want to say that you know i'm telling the details that impressed me but of course the story is how you decided that you had really effed up you took ownership of it 
You didn't blame a lot of people you could have easily blamed, and we can get into that. And you came out and uh, you turned it around, and I'm just very impressed with you. A lot of people don't. And a lot of people go through way less than you do and don't turn it around. So I'm going to cut that doc together, and I'm looking forward to it. So that's my shout-out. Just shout-out to my cousin, Eddie Brown, who's been through a lot and uh, is now a family man and changed his life. So I'm very impressed with you, Eddie. And I love you. Uh, All right, there you go. As always, you can write us a community at secretmovieclub.com. Episode 101. Now we're in the hundreds is going to be about the early 80s cult hit Liquid Sky, which is often considered one of the transgressive LGBTQ masterpieces of the 80s. And we're going to talk about transgressive cinema, which includes John Waters, Pink Flamingos. It includes Greg Araki's work like Mysterious Skin, which actually is that sort of was when Greg Araki matured into a different kind of voice. But Greg Araki made a lot of trend living end Titan, by the way, we can talk about that. That's transgressive cinema. So that'll be episode 101. As always, this episode was edited by Secret Movie Club Chief Creative Content Officer Connor Lloyd Cruz. Tonight, come see Lars Von Trier's Breaking the Waves. Tomorrow, see Robert Bresson's Al Hazard Balthazar on 35mm. Next Tuesday, support the Ukraine by seeing uh, their crown jewel of cinema, Shadows of Forgotten Ancestors on a 35mm print, a classic 1960s movie, a world cinema that Martin Scorsese, among many people, point out is transformative. And there you go. Guys, It was wonderful to talk about the neoclassics. You all put out bangers, Edwin. I will now watch the Mummy movies because you recommended them. Oh, will you? Will you? I can't even get gratitude out of that. Nothing I say, Edwin. Nothing I say engenders a positive response from me. Well, the, then what if you just program it? Edwin, I could say, like, you're a handsome man, talented, good movie taste, and you would yell at me about something. Yeah, I know. So why don't you program those two movies Call Universal, get those prints, and, and you're going to have Go a double soul show. Yep. Get down! Edwin is, has certainly matured across 100 episodes. I think we can all we can all agree on that. Yeah. Could you also remind me, Edwin had talked no. really positively about one of the other great movies. Oh, yeah. No. Yes. Edwin, no. one more. I love Mamma Mia. It is my favorite movie. Oh, one more That's movie put yeah. forward for the canon by none less than Edwin Caesar Gomez. <sighs> Y'all. Hate you all. All right, guys. Have a great week. I'll talk to you next week. I love you, Martha. One of the best practical jokes I've ever pulled was there was a pricing error on full screen DVD copies of We Bought a Zoo. And I bought, I think I got like 18. I ordered like 45 or something, but I only, they like only shipped 18. My first roommate in L.A. had a, a collection of movies and I just kept adding We Bought a Zoo. He noticed like <laughs> 10 in. He was like, why are there 10? Co-? And it was like, I would wait a few days. So then I took them all and I was like, oh, the joke's over. And then I started putting them in the movies. So I would take out his movie. And so finally, one day he went to get a movie and it was like, you guys want to watch this? And he didn't look. He just took it, put it in the, you know, his Xbox to watch it. <laughs> and just sat. There. I think it took him like a while to process that it wasn't just like a preview for it it was the movie <laughs> and then he opened a few others and realized what had happened and it was really beautiful you're, uh, you're pretty sick you know about that daniel that was an a plus prank it was harmless it was really good exactly so, yeah. someone could have died